Another very common reference um, to Sankara that occurs in the Pali Canon is in the presentation of the map, you could say, or the diagram with the five Kanda. And um, Kanda, heap, bundle, mm. most glorious term. And these are. This is the way experience is organized mm. or can be organized. Mm. So remember all these maps and maps and diagrams and the fact that the Buddha sometimes used two or three indicates none are absolutely true. They're just relative ways of apportioning how experience is created. Fundamental understanding being that for the Average person experiences a created, constructed uh, reality, and uh, it's not they don't construct it personally. They add personal touches to it and twists to it. But it's constructed almost automatically. There's a there's a kind of um, magnetic pull that just swings everything into place. And the essential magnetic pull of that is samkara. That's that's the dynamism. That's the that's the electric current or the ma- magnetic pull that pulls everything into shape, into patterns. These um, five aggregates. One way in which sankara aggregates experience. So we'll get into that later. But first of all, definition: the kanda, um, rupa. And uh, form, shape, something that seems like an object. Mm. Often this is glossed as body, but it doesn't really mean body, though body is one big part of it. It's any, the eye can have a form. Generally it's associated with visible form, this is most commonly. So shape, um, but it can also be mental form, a form that appears in the mind. So these are immaterial, but it's definitely an object that I can kind of track and trace and you know do things with or make things out of or experience something. And uh, the process rupa, um, vedana, feeling the quality of agreeable or disagreeable, sanya, perception, signing, impression, significance meaning sankara creations programs activities formations formative tendencies another one that's quite useful formative tendencies formative active formative activities activities that give rise to forms and consciousness vijnana or that which uh, discriminates uh, into um, subject object so essentially you have those you know an, another analysis sees there's rupa and consciousness rupa and vijnana and consciousness as it apprehends a form depends upon a form it generates these um, perception and feeling and the generative quality of it is sankara. It, it's, it, consciousness is sankara. It's activated to do this stuff. Mm. 
to the average person. That is, their consciousness arises dependent on sankara, or it's already programmed. And um, part of the process of the uh, adept is to moderate, switch off, turn down, adjust the program. So there can be something like an unprogrammed consciousness, which is referred to here and there, a trackless, non-manifestative consciousness is alluded to in the suttas a few occasions where it doesn't produce an object and uh, just linger around what that could be (laughs) no sight, no sound, no thought no mental impression and yet conscious Mm. and doesn't sound particularly interesting but the Buddha says you you have this, you won't, you know "This this is beautiful sublime, peaceful. The anidasana vijnana, trackless consciousness, as it can't be detected in terms of body, sight, sound, doesn't manifest in those ways, it's not associated with a mental process, thought, uh, mood, um, and yet uh, there is that. This is the unconditioned. So, consciousness and then form, and then the rest of it is sometimes summarized as name or designations or that which generates the, the uh, definitions. So, the other aggregates are bundled together in the in this other word name designating, that which designates or allocates or adds the details so and these are all bundled up in the program consciousness so we see something and there's a perception oh tree agreeable feeling contact Mm. and see something or hear something disagreeable sound and the sense of the sound and the disagreeable quality seem almost you know, synonymous. You hear the sound that is disagreeable. The perception is just embedded and the feeling is embedded in the very impression itself. So in meditation practice, as we're starting to, you know, take the energetic level to a more embodied and expansive and less um, configuring state, there is a possibility of beginning to recognise uh, there's the sound that's what it reminds me of here's the quality of disagreement you know, it's not actually the sound that's disagreeable it's, that's an addition that's a flavour that's built into it so it's pulling it apart this is a process of inquiry and, uh, and investigation that is one of the main one of the other main theme of meditation, one theme of meditation is energetic, you might say, it's, it's being able to shift energy to a much more regenerative and healthy and clean state, uh, steady state energy rather than jangling, surging and crashing. The other is to do with view, 
So these two cultivations, this cultivation of energy is called samatha, and the cultivation of view is called panya, discernment. And discernment is massively supported by um, the degree of, of, of how clear or clean or replenished one's energetic basis is, because it's all jangled up, it's very difficult to get discernment going. So these are, there are certain conditions that are necessary to arrive at the unconditioned. You have to be fit for it. So a lot of practice is really about getting fit and maintaining fitness and um, you know, building up strength, building up resilience, building up patience, building up you know, what it takes to, to counteract this vortex of conditionality. Sankara is this tremendous magnetic um, pull. So we're in there. So these are this is the how experience is um, bundled up, and it's not as if any of these occurs as a singularity and all of them there are for example um, different kinds of feeling there's bodily feeling and mental feeling pleasant, unpleasant and neutral six categories of feeling perceptions based upon the eye the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind so you have another series of perceptions perception possibilities Sankara is about 50 different kinds of Sankara dealing with degrees of intentionality uh, conditioned um, proclivities such as uh, condition, uh, an energy that's built upon aversion or built upon delusion or built upon greed or built upon love or built upon compassion so they, they also have ethical basis in them or, or, or a sankara that is uh, built based upon mindfulness, or a sankara that's based upon energy, or based, based upon patience. So there's many, many kind of flavours of sankara, and as we are practising, beginning to, to see what is the dynamic in any situation, this is the bit I can work on, is this, not this experience pleasant or unpleasant, I can't do much about that. What I can do about it is I'm approaching or relating to that experience with patience or with impatience. So there's the possibility. The only place one can have input into this web is Sankara. Because just as that's the dynamic that binds and aggregates everything together, it's also the dynamic that can unbind. And it's the only dynamic bit in it, really. Feeling just feels, doesn't do anything. It has no particular intent, like painful feeling doesn't decide, oh, I'll go, go and give her a hard day. <laughs> and you can't say, oh, it's a painful thing, oh, please, you know, could you just go away? Uh, come back tomorrow? No, it's no shift. <laughs> but there's no intent with it. Uh, though it, sometimes it seems hostile. So the only thing that can be really 
radically moved is, uh, well, you can shift your consciousness from seeing to hearing, you know, but that also is an intention. Everything that does moving is sankara. So there's an intention to see something, hear something, this is, I can't manage this, so I'll switch to this. So that's sankara to the diverting of attention, because attention is sankara. So the dynamic is in the sankara quality, and for this reason a huge emphasis in Buddhist practice on cultivating different aspects of intentionality, such as determined effort, or release, or letting go, they're all qualities where one inflects intention. So it's, in, it's, it's extremely relational. It's the most detailed and profound relational um, teaching going, actually. Since you've got so many different kinds of sankara with all these different modalities to, to mesh with. And, uh, you know, just getting to know all the, all the, all the entities in this blend to, to, to form relationship with. How do you relate to despair? How do you relate to, you know, painful feeling is the big one. Yeah. You know, very simply put, nobody likes painful feeling, do they? Otherwise it wouldn't be called painful. So, and yet, painful feeling is part of life. So, <laughs> and you relate to pleasant feeling without uh, just getting intoxicated or greedy for it. How do you relate to pleasant feeling? So, just around that, that little piece, there's a whole lot of practice and training, holding forms and intentionalities. Um, but the beauty of it is that because mental feeling will overcome physical feeling that is you know you can be lying on the beach a beautiful day and feel completely miserable because of a thought in your head (laughs) or you know the kind of things that pleasant feeling is, is available for in our lives, you know, sense, sense consciousness. There's plenty of places to find pleasant feeling, yet people are not necessarily happy because mental feeling overcomes all that. You don't notice the fact that you're not sick. You don't notice the fact that you're not freezing. You don't notice the fact that nothing's stabbing you. You're just depressed because of an anxiety or something's hurting you or something you're sorry or sad about or you're regretful about. And so that overwhelms everything. Because of this fact, that mental feeling can overcome physical feeling, because of this, there is a way out of that. Interestingly enough. Because physical feeling is built into having a body with nerves. It experiences pain and and experiences... um, sickness and so forth. Mental feeling does not actually have any other object apart from perception. And perception is generated by the mind. Mm. 
So in other words, there's nothing really there apart from what unconsciously we bring in. Not saying we have much, necessarily have much choice over it. We bring in, we bring in distaste, displeasure. We, we feel, you know, and but then something does that. You know, something aggregates that out of all the possibilities of what one's experience could be through all the sense channels something will aggregate around an unpleasant mental emotional, psychological quality with difficult feeling and that becomes big overwhelms not uncommon but because this is really you know, generated um, at a much more conscious level than physical feeling is. I mean, if you're born into a, phys- into a human body, yeah, you know, you could say the generation of a physical body, yeah. Well, you'd never, you haven't got much say over that now. <laughs> it was conditioned and created, but you can't undo that now. But with the mind, you know, the forms that arise in the mind, one could have some say over which ones become dominant and prominent. We could have some say over. And that's that's there's the work to begin to determine and clarify and support the mind so that it's not just um, turned towards its dukkha. Hypnotized by its dukkha. Of course, this is the, the major topic. We'll get back to that. So, once again, to um, just to go through these aggregates. So, Kajanya Sutta. In the Sanyuta Nikaya, Kandavaga, there's a whole whole book on the aggregates called the Kandavaga. Monks, any summoners or Brahmins who recollect their manifold past lives all recollect the five clinging aggregates, (coughs) or one amongst them, which five? When recollecting, I I was one with such a form in the past. One is recollecting just form. When one recollecting, I was one with such a feeling in the past. One is recollecting, recollecting just feeling. When recollecting, I was one with such a perception in the past. One is recollecting just perception. Or recollecting, I was one with such mental conditions or programs, sankaras in the past. One is recollecting just these. In recollecting I was one with such a consciousness in the past, one is recollecting just consciousness. So, um, you know, manifolds past lives, well, probably most of us don't recollect those very often at all. We've got enough on our plate to rec- recollect in this life. Still the same sort of thing happens. <laughs> uh, one does find oneself, or, you know, recollecting. 
put it's put very starkly here, but you know what I what I did, the events, what happened to me, what I did. You know, these are the activities. So one recollects perceptions. Oh, when it was you know 25 years ago, I saw so and so, so and so. We had a good time, we had a bad time. That thing goes on. These perceptions come up. Histories, memories. Particular perceptions that trigger strong feelings are the ones that come up. Generally, perceptions that don't have much feeling to them, they dissolve. We don't even remember them. So, what tends to be recollected is the places where the feeling or the perception was relatively intense, either pleasant or painful. And so, that that, that configures us. Um, yeah, we, in a way, an ongoing story and bits of that story are kind of fading out and certain pieces become caricatured just like every time you remember something you actually distort it every time you go to it the memory distorts it a little bit it's like every time you handle a tomato it gets your fingerprints on it every time you handle a memory it gets twisted just a little bit in line with how that the dominant feature of that memory. If it was disagreeable, it becomes more disagreeable and any agreeable bits gradually get shaded out. If it was agreeable, those are the bits that get remembered. Any disagreeable qualities gradually get faded out. So we form these kind of caricature memories of the horrible times, the good old days, or what a so-and-so he was, or that was wonderful, or this was dreadful. And it was always kind of actually much more shaded than that. So this act of recollecting itself is a sankara. It turns back and it reforms the past. If it's past, how come it's we still got it? If it's past. Well, the event is past. Well, what is that? Memory. Memory is the sankara reforming. Um, because why it's it's sort of left there as a as a sort of a, a shadow or a potential, whatever we're affected by, whatever we do, whatever we're powerfully impacted by, has a powerful effect on a, on an energetic level, a mental energetic level. Um, so it's rather like your mind is kind of streaming along and then it gets hit by something. It, does that. So it's got that kind of built into it. <laughs> you know, in, in its energy field, got that bit. And we've probably got a, a behavior pattern that then does that. You know. So we may have a, like something where one of the reflexes to apologize because that's what we did at that time. We've got an apologetic or feel guilty. Or because you know that's what we did. So we've developed that particular habit. You know, psychological habit, you know, or various things we were, if we were, there was a lot, not a lot of security in our formative time. So we've got a mental pattern that tends to seek security, tends to hold a lot of things, tends to see all the things that could go wrong and make sure they don't go wrong. Whereas people who didn't have that, yeah, things might, it doesn't really, you know can be much more relaxed. People with more security issues tend to see all the possible things that can go wrong and try to compensate and 
for them before they happen. So we can start to notice or discern these, these characteristic patterns, particularly in other people, because naturally, well, why is, she, why is he doing all that? How come she doesn't do that? You know? Oh, right, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you, you, sort of, you, you sort of see in relationship, you begin to discern, oh, that's, that's who this is. We only know ourselves, really, by noticing comparatively how others are. Oh, I don't have that, and I do have that. He does that, he's always doing that. I never do that. You know? It helps us to know what the particular sankara proclivities, tendencies that have been laid down. And you see it in other, other people. Now that, so that tendency acts like a sort of a, uh, a, a certain potential in this, in this field of mind. Mind is really not an object, but a field of, in, of intelligence that gets formed and moderated by <coughs> sankharas. And the sankharas essentially, when something hits that, then that creates a dynamic trend. So we can imagine like a river flowing down a street, down a hill, and you've got a couple of big rocks in it, the river does that. Mm. So then it carves a valley. It carves a valley. And it carves, the valley gets deeper. They take the rocks out, the river's still doing that. Because <laughs> it's carved that particular trench for itself. Yeah. So similarly, the mind stream is rather like that. It, it's, got, it's got bends and twists in it, dependent on what particular strong impingements were felt and perceived in the mind. Now, if we understand mind you know, as, a, as a field, as it's got an ongoing flow of, of intelligence, that's energetic, in other words, it's subject to dynamic and change. It can change speed, it can change direction, therefore it's energised. And it's not a point, it's flowing on. So, within that, when it gets big disturbances, those disturbances are held in that mind field, and they're ready to be re-potentised by current events. Something, and flash you're doing what you did 20 years ago. You see something, it reminds you, in other words, through this perceptual process, a current experience is seen in the light of a a perception, a perceived impression. That reminds me of, it's just like that. Oh, that's one of those. Oh, this is that kind of situation. And so everything is seen in the the now through the lens of personal perception, personal karma, you might say. And those perceptions got embedded because when an event happened, or, or sometimes an event didn't happen, the Sankara intelligence formulated a, a perception. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's friendly. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's hostile. Oh, that's wonderful. That's important. It formulated that perception. That was the code that was written down. When this happens, do this. That was the code that was written. Right? 
so that something arises in the present that has a trace of what that here's the code, here's how to deal with it and you do that (laughs) and this happens in often in kind of like not particularly dramatic ways I was talking to a group when I was in the, in the States where of course people um, you know cars drive on different side of the road they drive on the right hand side of the road drive on the left so I'm walking on a country lane I'm walking on the left hand side of the road right? walking on a country lane left hand side of the road I hear the sound of a car Okay, I'm walking the left-hand side of the road, I see no car, I hear the sound of a car. It must be behind me. So, there's an immediate bodily sense. He's not driving fast, so there's a sense of I just get to one side. And of course, the car's way over there, on the right-hand side of the road. But to me, sound of car behind me means left-hand side of the road. I don't have to think it, it's, it's a reflex built in. And um, so, this car whizzes by 10 feet. Oh, of course, America. You know, that's a simple example of a a programmed perception, right? There was a sound. Although, actually, in one way, all that happened was a sound occurred, a sound arose. They immediately recognized the sound of of a car engine from behind me, must be coming on the left hand side of the road. I better just move to one side. <clears throat> so this is the perceptual mechanism, isn't it? Uh, a current sense impression, uh, even a, or a, a mental impression, is seen through the perception aggregate. This is like that, and that's a, a, a non-cognitive. You know, I don't have to think about it; it happens by itself it's immediately recognised by itself what laid down that perception what, what built it in was a certain reaction or action such as you know when you're a little, little kid careful the cars across the road you know all that get drilled into you so naturally you do that <laughs> you know yeah. That's innocuous enough. But of course, people, as we recognize, can have huge perceptual biases, prejudices, dogmas, fears, phobias, addictions, you know, whereby the current object triggers a very powerful uh, set of responses and reactions and codes that they're immediately activated by into defense or compulsive. Uh, um, uh, grabbing got to have can't stand um, obsessive compulsive disorders and so forth so that kinds of things happen uh, um, and that's the Sankara Sanya p- pattern that's coded in so this is what happens when we Maybe when we're sitting, meditating, certain sanya, certain perceptions arise, um, you know, memories, uh, anticipations, uh, and they start triggering patterns. 
because the nature of sankhara is that because it's such a a person building energy it becomes your profile because it's the dynamic which has steered your life it's the dynamic of the codes and the programs that have steered and directed your life and your personality has been built upon that set of structures so the <laughs> habit the natural instinct is you go to your personal habit yeah. you go to your personal form I mean, to, to not go to your personal form takes considerable <laughs> leaning against, you know, or, or, you know, work with. So we go, we'll go to our personal form, personal habit, personal disposition, personal liking, personal disliking, personal interpretation. And this means that that process, that, that habit is never cleared and it keeps defining us and of course can be livable, okay um, naturally it, it very li- much limits our lives which again, is okay but even more powerful than that the process, the Sankara process has not been you know, able to discharge that so it will just keep running in the same pattern Calm. Acquisitions. This is, say, the all those program codes and responses that form the person, the felt person, the subjectively experienced person. Um, that's called upadi acquisition. And the Buddha is saying, you know, this actually this can be relinquished. There can be a release from that. Um, no, those those codes can be switched off. <coughs> so let's have a look at a little bit further. Why do you call it? Nearly he gets a little. Often the Buddha was a punning. So some of it's slightly humorous, witty. And here it says, why do you call it form? Rupa. And then it doesn't work in English, of course, because it's a, it's a pun on the, in the Pali language. But the translator attempts to, to, to capture that by saying, why do you call it form? Because it gets deformed. Thus it's called form, so it's playing on it. So in that case, deformed with what? Deformed with cold and heat and hunger and thirst, with touch of flies, mosquitoes, wind, sun and reptiles. It just likes to write these interesting lists. <laughs> in case flies, mosquitoes, wind and sun wasn't enough, we'll throw some reptiles in to just <laughs> give them the <laughs> you know, punch it home. This is bad news. <laughs> uh, so in other words we, we get bitten by stuff <laughs> you could say or it's, it's, it's moderated around those things, those things it must come into those things it's, well, it's physical form anyway and why do you call it feeling? because it feels 
That's it's called feeling. What does it feel? It feels pleasure, it feels pain, it feels neither pleasure nor pain. That's simple enough. So it's also, remember, it's mental and physical. Physical is inevitable, mental is negotiable. Why do you call it perception? Because it perceives. Thus it's called perception. Perceives blue, it perceives yellow, it perceives red, it perceives white. So what, this isn't particularly clear, but what it's saying is, um, it generates generic terms. There's no such thing as white. There's a white paper. But white, there's no such thing as white, is there? But we, we assemble out of the numerous objects that have a certain tone of brilliance or tonality to them. We call that white. You know, white paper, white tissue. But there's different kinds of white, you know. So it, it, it forms a generic, um, say, an ideal or, or a blueprint that we can then handle as a concept. I want some white paint, I want a white shirt, I want white sheets. Um, and this, is, of course, is very simplified here. When you get something like a, like a, a tasty meal, you're in trouble. <laughs> or I want salty, you know, how salty, salty. It goes into then, what do you call... Why are they called programs or sankara? I've used here. I've used the program term, and this is because interesting because they program programmed things. Thus, they are called programs. Now, so here we have both a verbal form. The verbal form is abhisankaroti. Abhisankaroti. <laughs> It's not doesn't trip off the tongue. Abhi sankara means so it's a verbal form, and abhi generally means as in like a what we say a meta. In other words, a, a, an over program, like a meta program. So this one programs the programs, or. Sankaras, the Sankaras, however you want to put it. And what do they, what does it program? For the sake of formness, it programs form. For the sake of formness, it programs form. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we might say, you know, like when with my, my eyes, when my eyes are open, I see an undi- a field of visual visual experience arises. In that visual experience there's discernment of different kinds of coloration, light intensities and so forth. There's no distinct forms. Um, There's gradations of dark and light. There's an inference of distance. Out of that what's formed through a true sankara of attention, says, oh, there's the dish. It's a distinct thing separate from the carpet. But your eye sees no separation between the carpet and the dish, does it? Just the colours change. There's no 
kind of cut line around it, just the colours change, the carpet and the floor, we see a form. But actually, what what we think we see a form, what we really see is a certain degree of coloration, which suggests a texture of smoothness, uh, something that reminds us perhaps of wood or vinyl. And then there's a, then there's a, a forms. Um, we see other delineations of colour that give us a sense of tassels and then so forth. Oh, that's the carpet. We call the term carpet. We know we have formed. Uh, yeah. or, or the mind has formed from something that visually is, is not separate. It's not separate pieces stuck together. It's just one continuum. Right? But for the purposes of um, you know, organization and so forth, for conditioned life, it's important to know that that dish is potentially, I can remove it from the carpet. And to recognize the pattern, I can't remove it from the carpet. That's built into the carpet. <laughs> but the dish isn't. So, I th- the Sankara forms a form. There's an unconscious activity that forms a form. Cuts it out as a distinct object. And what is that? That's the Sankara called in- attention. Attention focuses. So it's just this cut little piece out. And as you recognize with that mode of attention whenever you see a thing definitely in detail you can be sure that you're missing 90% of the picture correct? if I focus on that dish all of your good people disappear into fuzzy blurs in fact you might experience yourself as a fuzzy blur right now (laughs) but um, this becomes even more apparent when I focus on that dish as for this one, I've never, I don't, right now I don't have a head. <laughs> There's a sort of triangular shaped thing underneath me and some, these large extenders. And I, you know, based upon looking around, I assume I've got a head. I look in the mirror and something appears. You know. So also part of that um, process is perception. There's a background impression of what this thing means. So I focus, attention, and through that I've, I've learnt that that is a dish and it's separate from a carpet, so the perception comes in tells me what it is. So attention, attention stays on something, it searches for the perception that will meet, meet that. It does it pretty quickly. Where, where in strange circumstances, maybe you're taken into some, I don't know, some kind of big engine room, you know, with some massive machine, you know what it is. You know, which bits go where, and what's it about, and doesn't remind you of anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so another kind of notable incident. Uh, so like you know Picasso, painter Picasso certain stage in his career created these cubist paintings, you know, with you look on it and there's a some humanoid figure but it's got a nose and two eyes on the side of the nose and 
fingers like bananas and what's that? And so um, somebody who couldn't get this came up to him and had a photograph of his wife. He said, look, this is what my life looks like. Not two eyes on the side of her nose and hands like bananas. She looks like this. The counselor picks a picture and says, she's rather small, isn't she? Flat. (laughs) (laughs) Flat and small, your wife. In other words, he's saying, all we have is representations <laughs> and what, how you interpret them. So, for the sake of form, Sankara generates form. And then, at the same time, the process of that form is then linked to perception of what does it remind me of. You know, the play of light on a shape is, oh, it's just light, that's not the thing. I don't imagine that bowl has got a white streak on it. I'm pretty certain that's just reflective glow because of the nature of perception. The eyes see a kind of pale streak. Mind interprets that as a reflection. So that's all Sankara, that's built in. For the sake of perceptionhood, it formulates a perception. For the sake of um, programhood, or for the sake of sankharas, it programs a sankhara. So this can be rec- this can be considered to be something like a, you know particular activities that arise for the sake of having an activity. Mm. Um, so for example, this can be just compulsive thinking. There's no need to think, but for the sake of having some sort of flowing activity happening, thinking comes up. Ruminating, curiosity, could be this, could be that, what about what we're doing next year? You know, planning, memorizing, few, this, that and the other. There's no need but it just keeps going for the sake of having an activity because it's normal that's part of one's personhood that's become programmed in and we see how these uh, you know, this plays out. You sit anywhere. You go to an airport. Sit there. You can sit in the train. Everybody is looking at the smartphones or the tablets, and or phoning. Where are you? I'm here. How are you? I'm fine. Where were you yesterday? I was okay. Are you going somewhere? Yes. See you later. Bye. What's all that about? <laughs> 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 because that's that's normalised. You feel a kind of getting along kind of day. You don't feel disoriented. So a lot of these compulsive 
or semi-compulsive activities are just to prevent disorientations and we orient around particular habit patterns we orient around particular particular habit patterns that's the whole trend of Sankara it familiarizes certain tendencies to the point one inclines more and more towards them and even feels uncomfortable without them even when they're not particularly useful not especially agreeable uh, but here goes another cake, here goes another television program, here goes another conversation, it's about nothing whatsoever. It's just, you know, vibe, chatting. And, uh, you know, for the sake of it, because the overall pattern of all these, it continually reiterates who I am. It reiterates, it grants an identity. And once I know who I am, then I know how to operate. Because I've also got all the programs that tell me how to be me. And how to deal with, how to acquire, how to avoid, how to find comfort, and so on. For the sake of consciousnesshood, they they program consciousness as a programmed thing. So this is the um, seen as the ethical, often the ethical basis of of consciousness. You know, gets programmed, or the 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 searches of consciousness, so what, what it seeks out, um, say actions, sights, sounds, tastes, flavors, gets programmed in. Because it's programmed in the possibility of realizing the unconditioned gets programmed out. So it's not even conceivable. What are you talking about? It couldn't possibly be enjoyable. Because they program programs, they over program programs, they're called programs. So it kind of continually over overactivates with lots of programs that are either not particularly useful or quite unpleasant. So this can be this intensification. The effect is of a considerable intensification of experience, which again becomes normal. So much so that if we find ourselves or situations or with people who are less intense, we find it kind of boring uh, and they don't seem to do much or say much. Because I'm running at 50 times louder, more programmed, because this programming is not just personally inducted, but also socially inducted. As, as group creatures in, in collective societies, then certain socio-cultural programs are established that mean everybody starts running up and moving in line with that. One has have to, to to keep up with the social trend or the function or the job. Mm-hmm. So in this 
intensification occurs and then you kind of pulled along it Consciousness cognizes, cognizes what is sound. Bitter, pungent, sweet, alkaline, non-alkaline, salty and unsalty. See the taste consciousness is, is used as a reference point. But here it, it says what is rather than, so in other words a sense of a particular attribute is attributed to experience, so this attribution of perceptions the perception may be the generic quality of sourness but then consciousness says attributes that perception to that particular object sound and naturally the object is what it is now for example if we um, somebody gave us um, say I don't know you think you know, a bowl of ice cream and it, it uh, had the flavour of brie cheese, we think, oh, this is terrible. Something wrong with this ice cream. Right? <coughs> or if they gave us some camembert, it tasted like a banana. You think, God, it's awful. You know, because the, the attribution wouldn't work. We'd expect to attribute sweet or mild to, to something we see our sense perception says is, is ice cream so then the flavour becomes sour or rotten whereas if that was attributed to something whose nature was to have a different flavour like cheese we wouldn't consider it rotten at all we think oh this is good cheese so I think you know sometimes People play jokes with food dyes, so you know you get a cup of tea and you put some purple food dye in it. So people think, oh, look at it. Nobody says it, you pick it up immediately, you think, oh, fruit juice. Oh, what's wrong with this? It's actually tea. There's nothing wrong with it. But the visual thing triggers, oh, it should taste sweet or tangy, and instead something else occurs, and it's this is kind of jarring, double take around these jarring perceptions so then the you know what is attributed to that um, coloured thing doesn't match it therefore it feels it tastes bad it doesn't taste bad just it's experience is bad because the attribution doesn't work so we've messed around with uh, the attribution faculty of consciousness which attributes perceptual tokens to discerned objects Mm. of course you know it's happening all the time so take a human body what is a what is an attractive person attractive woman attractive man what kind of features would we discern that would make us sense that hair shape of hair colour shape of body skin texture you know in particular, when you look at any one in particular, it's just, well, it's just that, isn't it? <laughs> you know, hair is hair, skin is skin, shape is shape. It's just that, it's neither attractive nor unattractive, it's just that. Yeah. But the attribution 
is is tinged with the, these uh, other perceptual signifiers. See a dish in a super in a restaurant window looks like uh, you know say a plate of food. It's actually plastic because it's there to advertise the dish. So it looks really tasty. You eat it. You know, it would be awful. So this, 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 this attribution that the conditioned consciousness does, and it's programmed to attribute, and it can learn to attribute um, um, signifiers, sanyas, and feelings to objects that by themselves don't have that. They're just that. Yet we signify them as beautiful, ugly, tasty, and they're just that, really. That's, that's the vortex, that's the pressure, that's the push. And generally, you know, the big one, of course, is the one marked me. You know, anything marked me, in terms of either body or mind or speech or voice or whatever, What's that signified as? Perfect? Wonderful? (laughs) Could it even just arrive as it's just what it is? That would be pass mark. That would be great, just what it is. That's what you're looking at, just what it is. But often there are tinges of, man, not really. Could do better. Let's face it. Short, fat, skinny, uh, <laughs> whatever, stupid, incompetent, blundering, you know, uh, goes on, his attributions. Uh, and so, particularly intensified whenever the perception myself comes in. Strong, strong intensification of attributes and perceptions. Very self conscious and and that again is a just big social trend because uh, social socialization we've all got to be you know, as good as or approved of and so once you set that up definitely there's the shadow sense of you've got to be that because otherwise you might not be so you try to do or appear or act in ways that one will assume will hit that mark and yeah. nobody does do for a little bit sometimes so then we're left with that <coughs> so this is the process of sankara formulating consciousness and having um, presented it in this way you probably begin to get why he says Thus an instructed disciple of the Noble One reflects in this way, I am now being chewed up by form. In the past I was chewed up by form, the same way as I've been chewed up in the present moment. If I delight in future form, in the future I'll be chewed up by form. In this way he becomes dispassionate towards form, practicing for the sake of disenchantment, dispassion, and ceasing with regard to present form. In other words, it's just the form. 
rather than in the, this kajanya. Kajanya comes from the word meaning to, that which chews, chewed up by form. Very, very powerful, um, striking language the Buddha used, sometimes extremely um, striking, making strong, emphatic overstatements, you might say. I'm now being chewed up by feeling. In the past, I was chewed up by feeling. If you're delighted in feeling, I will continue to be chewed up by feeling. <laughs> to delight in here means something like to get intoxicated with, you know, like, like to, to, you really so you tip over, like something's quite pleasant and you really go for it. And that tipping over into like a, a slight intoxication or giddying effect, getting swept away. This is where it's because the vortex of the Sankara spun. It really is moving now, and now you're rolled over, right? Yeah. And that can be kind of fun. <laughs> you know, falling in love with something, and then you tumble, tumble. And then if you're lucky, it sort of levels out somewhere reasonable. If you're unlucky, you know, it, it crashes into something painful. When that land you somewhere. So it's chewed up by these things. So the process, in this, uh, these aggregates in this, this particular suit are being highlighted as that which chews us up. <laughs> Devours. Devours what? Yeah. Devours a potential clarity, openness, freedom devours chitta, devours awareness, uh, infests it, uh, puts pressure on it, uh, gets it activated, running around, chitta, awareness. So, and there is a release from this, where that chitta could be un, not chewed up. Um, Now, often the, these aggregates are called here the upadana kanda, the grasped aggregates, or the aggregates, again, the, the Pali language, uh, often just, it doesn't add all these, you know, um, conjunctions and, and connectors that we, we're using. Upadana kanda literally means chewed aggregates oh sorry grasp aggregate uh, so sometimes we translate the aggregates affected by grasping or affected by clinging or clung to or those which stimulate clinging or even the results of clinging so it's, it's bound up it's a dependency that is fostered that is strengthened by clinging and clinging is the sense of taking something and holding it in this in this vortex way. In other words, the pliability, the flexibility is lost, and a determination and a held sense occurs around a form, occurs around a feeling held in that way. And the result of this, the holding result of this, is there's the generation, the creation of I am. The fixity of the clinging provides, again, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of mm, 
clinging. It sounds like somebody's clinging. There's nobody clinging. Clinging is a kind of constriction that Sankara brings in. It's a speedy uh, process di- dynamic because it, it operates in repeated ways. It generates a certain like, you know, fixity to it. Just as a magnet, when it's powerful, can create a tremendous hole, even though it's actually very di- its energy is very dynamic. Its power locks things into place. So this locking into place that Sankara uh, can build up to uh, can be slightly locked, moderately locked, somewhat locked, or very tightly locked. That locking is called upadana. And the word refers to either latching on to the way that um, fire latches on to uh, a branch of a tree and burns it up. Uh, feeding on, sometimes called feeding on, uh, or something of this nature. So it kind of really bonds into to, uh, to that which is clung. So the sense in which the sankara then deeply bonds into the, into the repeated pattern of a perception. So that becomes obsessive, uh, tenacious, uh, embedded. And that which becomes embedded has a certain permanence to it. That permanence creates an orientation. Yeah. Because it's one of those, this happens. Because that, this happens. So it creates an orientation. That orientation and the familiarity of that orientation becomes I am. I am. This is my pattern. This is the me sense. I am the one who perceives. I am the one who sees. I am the one who hears. I am the one who thinks. This is my body. Um, and so forth. So the I am is not the agent of claiming the I am is the result of clinging. Of this. So clinging is just a, a mechanism that occurs with certain intensities of sankara. Because there's nobody who clings, there's also nobody who lets go. <coughs> there's nobody who lets go of clinging because there's nobody clinging in the first place. So this is not a sort of uh, an admonition one should not cling because one isn't clinging anyway. <laughs> uh, so the process of release from clinging is, is, much, is a bit subtler than that. It means going to the, the experience of I am and notice or alloc- locate one or two strong tendencies, notice the energy in that, feel the energy in that. Really you know, sense that very fully. Uh, and when we sense it fully, we'll sense that in terms of embodiment, because there are no stories, there are no deceits in embodiment. Pleasant or unpleasant, stupid or wonderful, it's what it is. Uh, and uh, sensing it, and then begin to relate to that with some sense of dispassion, clarity, gentleness, kindness. Uh, moderate attention so it's no longer mesmerized by that so it can open and move around in that it's no longer glued to it moderate intention so it's no longer being um, triggered 
by that which is clung to. So something's clung to, and then clinging brings up the sense of I am fed up, I don't stand this, I don't like this, I'm always being done this to, okay. What's needed here is so wide tension and a response to that quality, to that message. So that um, putting another set of intentions into this dynamic that may help to start to unfreeze, unlock the dynamic that runs within the clinging. The clinging seems like a lock, it's actually a, a strong dynamic. And so we need a strong dynamic or a long-term dynamic that counteracts it or that does not, not conform to it or intensify it to allow it to come out of that pattern. So there's, then there's a release. And the release is experienced, we could say in energetic ways, as certain as a shift. You know. Oh, yeah. Oh. You know. Or, oh. you know, rising, something of that nature. And with that, there's, there's insight. Oh, that was that. Now I, oh, that piece of me that seemed so strong is now just, what was that? Hmm. Either it's there, but it's not an issue anymore, it's like a memory, but it's not, hasn't got the potency, or it, it, it's a habit that begins to recede. Of course, this is, because these clung things uh, are so, it can be very, deeply entrenched and oriented around for years, which tends to increase their lock. Uh, it can be a long-term, steady process of even acknowledging them and not favouring them and not blaming them either, but turning intentional opposite or opposing or not following that tendency. This is training. And naturally, then it extends Dhamma practice beyond meditation. Though meditation, sitting still, is also just a really powerful practice for you know, changing the energetics. So, just even sitting, when something in your body wants to kind of do this, <laughs> or something wants to <laughs> do this, <laughs> or something wants to <laughs> do this. <laughs> And holding the form to till eventually the power of that form begins to counteract the, the energetic the body energetic power of the, of the sankara yeah and that, that that's helpful but meditation is a way of cultivating proper intentionality rather than reactive intentions right. You know, to a mind of ill will, we start to generate a mind of non-ill will, for example. But then, of course, when we see this way, these, these aggregates are constantly that's there. That's our experience. Then this very much opens into our daily life of recognizing, you know, as I'm moving around doing stuff, you wait for the bells to ring. You wait for those perceptions to come kicking in. And, and the reactions 
just blurring, or the compulsions to start running. Oh, oh here I oops, here, check. I am, I got to, I should, I can't. That's often the signs. I am, I should, I got, I can't. Other people think they need me to, I want, it's, it must be. Often the agent is placed in the impersonal sense. It must be done, not I've got, or they want me to, or they never think. How do you know? (laughs) You know, so this transposition uh, is often a, a deflective tendency we have. So this tracking. So you can imagine there's a kind of discipline there. Um, formal senses, also in, informal senses. You know, w- watch out for the, the re- familiar, repetitive I am's, or I'm nots, however you want to put it. Yeah. And what's that? Who's that? What makes it so familiar? Would it be possible just to pause at that point? Come into your body. What is beautiful now? What is beautiful? What would be different? What would no longer be running my program? I'll pause there in my program.